In today's special episode, we dedicate our thoughts and hearts to the remarkable KJSB students who have left us, but whose legacies continue to inspire and touch our lives. This episode is a tribute to those who may be gone, but never forgotten. KGSP cast. So welcome to the KGSP cast. Today we have a really exciting episode. Um, we're talking today about mental health and academic life. I'm your host, Ghanima Abu Hamid. I am a KGSP cohort seven alumni. I went to University of Colorado Boulder for my um, bachelor degree. I got a BA in physics and then I came back to CAUSE to do my master's and now my PhD in mechanical engineering. And today I have some really exciting guests, people who are very uh, close and dear to my heart. And I thought this would be especially important because mental health is a huge and sensitive topic. Go ahead and have you guys introduce yourself. Um, Ava, if you want to go first. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm Ava Kosel. I'm a clinical and health psychologist. Um, right now I'm running my independent practice in Austria, Villach. And I have been working uh, at the Student Counseling Services uh, in KAUST for about eight years. Um, and yeah, I have a bit of experience um, with mental health issues students are dealing with. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eva, for the wonderful introduction. Um, Maria? Yes, thanks, Anima. So, uh, Maria Kurdi, I also um, attended KGSP uh, Cohort 7. I went to University of Massachusetts, uh, had a degree, a bachelor degree in biochemistry, molecular biology, and psychology. And then after graduating, I came to KAUST to do my master's degree in bioengineering and environmental sciences and engineering applications. And now um, I graduated and I'm working as an environmental consultant in KAUST as well. Awesome. Thank you both so much for being here. Um, I'm sure that you guys' stories and, and um, your answers to, to my questions are going to be very, very helpful for our audience. So I just want to start by first um, maybe identifying what mental health uh, is to you. What's the definition um, that you have come into and how do you put it in the context of academic life? Yeah, thank you, Renima. So personally, I think of it as, you know, I always use the uh, periodical uh, check when we go to the dentist every like six months. Um, it's the same thing. I think it's very crucial to also maintain that health that we don't necessarily physically see and check every once in a while um, as as needed. It's different from a person to, to another. And also a part of um, how I see mental health is that sometimes it's going to be great and sometimes it won't be. Um, it fluctuates with time and, you know, it's also, it's also something to, um, that I think is important to monitor. 
It's, it's interesting that you said the word monitor. Um, I think Ava has a, has a little bit of experience in that. So Ava, how would you define mental health in the academic context? Yeah, so I would say in general, it's about finding overall emotional and life balance um, and monitoring yourself, being aware of yourself um, is one of the, the most important things here. Um, if I'm not aware that I'm actually quite stressed for a while already, if I'm not aware that I'm feeling depressed or anxious, I cannot do anything uh, to, to fix that, right? Um, so monitoring yourself, maybe through journaling, for example, could be quite nice to gain awareness and to be able to, to reach a nice um, balance regarding mental health. Awesome. Uh, so you touched a little bit about the coping mechanisms, which we'll, we, we will get to um, at a later stage. But um, and when, when you were talking about depression, when we were talking about anxiety, when we we're talking about these mental health issues, what are like some of the academic, let's say, pressures or tar triggers, challenges that are contributing to these struggles, in your opinion? Um, well, I think one of one one big thing is definitely the workload uh, students have to deal with, right? Uh, another thing is isolation and loneliness, the uncertainty about the future. Um, many students actually kind of suffer from the imposter syndrome, meaning they are uh, high achieving students, but worry a lot about not being good enough. Um, perfectionism stands in the way quite often. And uh, the social support system um, is a topic which comes up a lot as well. So having a, a good social support system is very important. Yeah, I think that we KGSB students suffer from from imposter syndrome quite a bit. I very much second that, Renima. <laughs> I think, um, you know, it's it's like before going to the U.S. and after, you you're used to being, you know, the top one student or you know top three, for example, and it's and then you go to the U.S. and then you realize that you know you're more. Um, there is more competition around you and so many people are also achieving and doing things that are similar to what you have been um and and that's i feel like where the imposter syndrome starts to emerge and i think it's the same thing goes with being a kgsp student we're all high achievers successful people and then we you know we're surrounded by each other all the time and it kind of sometimes you feel like whatever huge thing I achieved or that made my family celebrate and you know post my photos every everywhere for is also achievable by 10 other people for example um so it gets it gets at first I think it's it gets harder to think that you're um, one of the top or you're unique in certain ways or in academia especially personally in my experience with time I started to appreciate more the differences you know and at the end of the day, even though our journeys sound very much similar, but they're really not. Um, when you when you dig deeper in in everyone's lives, you realize that you know that this the 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 end like the destination might be the same, but the the journey itself is different and unique. This gives more value to the achievement or goal I've achieved. I'm not, I'm not sure how you did it, Renima, but I'm also interested in, in your journey and how you juggled this uh, imposter syndrome thing. I think I go in and out of, uh, of, of feeling the impost of imposter syndrome for sure. But I agree with you. It's a very highly competitive environment. And often in these kinds of environments, you feel like you're less or 
um, you compare yourself to your peers and you compare it to your achievements to their achievements. And my most recent, like, uh, I guess, guilt trip is to go on LinkedIn and see what people are posting. And every time, like, I go in, I'm like, oh, my God, this person have has this certificate now or they achieved this award. And, like, I've been sitting here doing my PhD. And, um, and I kind of forget that, like, it's an achievement by itself to to even continue past your your master's degree and 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 keep you know working towards your goal and my old goal was always to to have a phd so so i was i am proud to at least um have uh, committed to my goal um but the journeys are very different um it's not fair to compare them to each other it's not fair to fair to compare yourself to another person i i want to touch exactly especially on the idea of uh, feeling rejected or failing for the first time so um ava i'm pr pretty sure you have like some stories about that how do students usually deal with failure for the first time i'm not sure if there is a usual reaction i think there are two different types of reaction um many students are able to um to deal with it in a healthy way, let's say, okay, it happened once, right? Um, I didn't succeed with whatever, with this test or with this exam. And they can take their time, um, take some distance from it, figure out what went wrong, and then give it a try again and and um, most probably succeed. Others might get stuck in this um, overthinking mode um, and, and negative automated thoughts where they uh, judge themselves, where they uh, talk really badly to themselves, where they put themselves down. Um, and then it's difficult uh, to get out of this um, situation, right? If that happens, uh, what can be quite useful is actually talking talking about it to others, to family, to friends, to, to people close to, to ourselves, or reach out to counseling to talk it through with a counselor, uh, what has happened and how to approach the next exam or, or course. Yeah. So since we, we we're on that topic, which is seeking help, essentially, um, when you're going into that, that uh, spiral phase. Um, so First of all, like, what are the signs that someone needs help? Um, in your opinion, when when do you feel like you should be seeking help? Because I think that normally, as human beings, if we if we face failure, we do we all have that stage of self doubt a little bit. We have fallen, and it's going to take a little bit of time to stand back up. But when is it that important to start asking for help, and where do you seek it? I would say, in general rather seek help earlier than later. When should you really seek help? Um, look out for changes in yourself or even in other people, right? So if um, if you're usually a very outgoing and positive person and then you find that you that you actually with, withdraw from social connections, that you are rather at home, that you're crying a lot, that you are in a, in a bad mental state, that you don't have interest anymore in things which which you liked before and things like that or in the other direction that you are super overly excited um, and cannot focus anymore so look out for changes within yourself um, and and if you can find changes which are somehow difficult to explain or which you cannot really deal with um, reach out for help and in, in my personal experience I I was not aware that there was something going on that I and that I needed to take care of my mental health and check instead of you know what I haven't what I had in mind is that I'm either like what Eva said it's you know it's one of the could be one of the extremes either doing things in a hyper mode always super ex excited um, and you know like uh, abnormally or the opposite 
um, super depressed uh, and whatsoever. But in my case, I did not know that, you know, one of the options is also just feeling flat, you know, just it's not one of the other. Uh, it's not an extreme feeling or reaction. It's just like um, more like blank or flatness. And um, I was not aware for a very long time until I was diagnosed with um, ADHD later uh, after being in the university. So I went to check for that part. On the side, I also had to go through other diagnoses. So that's when I knew that I was actually, that I had major depressive uh, disorder at the time. And I didn't know because I just felt flat. I guess that's why I mentioned uh, it's like going to the dentist, for example, checking every six months whatsoever. And in this case, for mental health, I would say just checking. Um, you don't necessarily know that you have to, but just going to, you know, just realize if there's something or not that you're aware or not aware of. Yeah, I definitely second second that. Oh, thank you so much for sharing the um, that you were diagnosed with ADHD. And I think there's many members of our audience who might benefit from hearing your story. So you went for a diagnosis and ADHD, and then you found out there was other things on the side. But what made you go in the first place? Were people telling you, for example, oh, maybe you have ADHD? What was like your first incline um, that you need to go uh, get diagnosed? So ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactive uh, Disorder. And it's... Um, Mostly genetics, but there's also, uh, as everything, there's also environmental um, impact that make makes it either worse or better um, in terms of the the symptoms. In my case, uh, it's genetics because uh, also my brothers were at the same time diagnosed. Uh, where we were all undiagnosed as children, and then through adulthood, we figured out that we had it. So, going from high school to undergrad is where I actually noticed a lot of symptoms because the stress was higher and the things to juggle were way more than they ever w were when I was in the uh, back home in Saudi. Um, so having many things to take care of, many responsibilities um, is what made me aware that, okay, there's something going on or something um, that that I should, you know, just, just be aware of and keep observing through time. And then that's when I looked up, you know, some self-tests online just to see what kind of symptoms there are. With every symptoms I read, I check. I'm like, okay, that is also happening next. And then I go to the next one and I, you know, remember so many situations that made sense by reading this one symptoms, for example. It was enough for me to actually decide to go and check. And that's where I did. I found uh, a center in my town and then I, I went through around six hours of tests and um, answering questions, solving puzzles, memorizing and then retaining information and so on. It was, it was extensive and I appreciate it because... You know, in many cases, a lot of people get either misdiagnosis or, you know, underdiagnosed. So I, um, yeah, I went through it and then I got my, my results and, you know, it was, it was such a relieving uh, moment, to be honest, because <laughs> it made sense, you know, every dot was just connected. 
Yeah, it makes uh, it makes you feel a lot better um, about what was happening for sure. Um, once you get diagnosed, it makes you feel like there's a reason behind it, and now you can probably ta tackle those reasons. Um, and speaking of that, um, I'm sure that you've had to struggle a lot with balancing, you know, your studies with um, taking care of yourself. Ava, I wanted to ask, well, and, and not in terms of coping mechanism, but taking care of yourself and also balancing life um, and your studies. What are some of the strategies that you uh, you can use to to do that? Well, um, taking care of yourself, I think, is a lot about finding the right work-life balance, or nowadays we would rather say work-life blend. Um, so in general, if you only if you only focus on one thing in your life, right, let's say that studies, and you forget about everything else, rather sooner than later, that's going to be an issue, right? So self-care things might be taking care of your physical health, meaning any kind of exercise, uh, moving your body and so on. It also includes eating healthy, which can have our food intake can have a, a good or a negative impact on our mental health as well. Um, another very important um, dimension is actually being socially connected, right? Um, if we feel isolated, if we feel lonely, we rather suffer um, and we need that connection um, to feel better in life. So it's about finding your own own routine, right? Some of us would need more exercise, some would need less exercise, some need more social interaction, some less. Um, not only focus on studying. Many, actually, many students tend to, if they start feeling not good enough, for example, or, or if they feel like they need to do more, they, they push more and more and more, then you get tired, you get sleeping issues probably, and you don't take rest, right? So what's important is actually to allow yourself to take rest um, and to, to disconnect from studies, because otherwise, if you, if you don't do that, if you don't take care of yourself, um, you will not be able to study as good as, as you could. Yeah, I actually wanted to add, um, it just made me think of examples of when me or anyone who might go gone through this, instead of dealing with the issue, uh, distract by either doing the thing that is causing, you know, the anxiety or whatever it is, like overdoing it and using that as a distraction or over avoiding it. Yeah, I think for, for me, at least, uh, I, I was one of the victims for overdoing it, where like I would set up goals for taking care of myself, you know, in quotes, um, and I would end up not being able to keep up with the goals that I have that I have put for myself. And then that would lead to feeling, you know, guilty and bad about yourself. And then they, that triggers the anxiety. It's, it's a, sometimes if we forget that, like no one is going to judge us if we don't, you know, go to the gym today <laughs> or and and you're you're yourself you're the biggest judge of of your own behavior so sometimes you just got to feel feel it out feel what you are you're capable of doing that day and and start with very very small goals that you can sustain for a long time rather than big goals that you want to like tackle all at once so for me like i i started making the bed every day that was my one thing that i will not stop doing or i every day every day when i wake up I make up the bed and then I would feel a little bit good about myself because, hey, like now the, the room looks good and that would lead me to want to clean up my room a little bit. And and I always like end up feeling a lot better about my environment, which reflects um, um, on my like on my brain. Um, so that's that was my way of at least keeping one goal and, and sustaining that. And with literally that one habit of making the bed, I was able to train myself to have other habits and include them within the routine. 
that are bigger and bigger as like time goes on. But if one day you forget to make the bed, it's not the end of the world. You have the next day, you can do it when you come back. It's literally just, you know, be a little kind <laughs> to yourself. I think that's um, the most important part. I just remembered, actually, my friend does something similar. Despite making the bed or not, if she does it, then that's great. But if not, let's say if she's working from home, she would always make sure to dress up nicely as if she's going to the office so that she gets herself into the mood of productivity and, you know, professionalism and like just being focused. And it's actually, it, it's nice. It's nice to hear that these little things, sometimes, you know, the simplicity makes way more positive impact than, you know, just, just as you said, uh, stressing about a couple of goals that you put for yourself in order to prove to yourself that you're an achiever and you're successful. It sometimes it backfires. And I'm also I'm a victim of this, Anima. I think you remember we've, we've had this conversation before about overachieving in the yes. back. <laughs> and basically we we're saying that we we're so used to doing more and more and more. And sometimes we just forget that this, what we're doing, thinking that it's actually good for us is, is harming us in the long run or even the short, um, short term as well. Sometimes the smarter choice to, to do is to just sit back and relax and take, you know, take a deep breath and, and just support and pat yourself in the back for not doing anything on, on this particular day or this week. I think there's, there's a huge value and strength in pausing and doing less than we actually talk about or embrace as opposed to doing more and achieving and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Let's let's talk about like a different scenario. Now you have put a lot of big goals for yourself. Um, you were not able to achieve them. You have fallen into the hole. How do we get out of this hole? What are some of the things that you do to calm yourself down? To tell yourself to calm down. For me, like at least as an anxious person, let's say, um, it's especially difficult because it feels. And, and when you're anxious, it feels like you want to run away or you, it feels a little bit like you're in some delusion of danger um, that is not there. So it's it's a little bit harder for me to kind of talk myself off the ledge. But what are, you know, some of the strategies that you use, Maria or Ava, you've, you've uh, maybe recommended to your patients? Yeah, thank you. I mean, we could we could say it's talking about procrastination, right? Um, procrastination is if you if you don't do the things which you actually should be doing. Uh, so if you avoid them and rather tell yourself, "Oh, I will do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow." And there are basically there are two big reason reasons uh, for why we procrastinate. So one is that we feel overwhelmed by the task, and the other reason is that we actually feel absolutely not motivated because we we see it as very boring and the first important step is to to figure out what's going on right to check in with yourself and to uh to find out why am i procrastinating on this task if it is for example if it is because you feel overwhelmed and anxious about it ganima you said it before already try to go through it in very very small steps right so rather than having in your mind oh god i need to finish my my phd as soon as possible which is a huge project 
that you really uh, tackle it step by step, right? So what's the next step which I have to do to be able to, to finish my PhD? And if you set yourself uh, very small goals um, and now very important, also very realistic expectations, um, it's much easier to get started on it. Um, and, and most probably anxiety will be down as well about that topic. Let's say let's say you're you're already having the the, the episode. Well, uh, do you recommend, for example, meditation? Um, any any particular let's say practice that could that could help you kind of come out of the episode? Definitely taking time and distance, right, from from the stressor. So meditation in any kind, um, any kind of uh, relaxation exercises. Uh, PMR, for example, it stands for progressive muscle relaxation, is a very nice tool to to relax and to be mindful. Um, also, just going for a walk or chatting to a friend can be helpful to to disconnect from the the worries for a while and then to get back to it in a calmer state again. Yeah, I, I definitely second second that. Yeah, so. Uh, there's also one thing that I don't I don't necessarily think that it, it's obvious. I, I'm not sure. But, you know, I've gone through the mental health challenges, same ones, but in two different scenarios. One was with a certain type of friends that I, I was surrounded with. And then the other was a different a different type um, of friends. And I think that makes a huge, huge difference. At some point, it was normalized to just be or feel or feed into the negativity when it's so hard to think positively. I would still try and that wouldn't be supported, if that makes sense. And then different situations, it's also normalized not to feel okay. But also there is support for when, you know, at the times that I do feel okay and positive and cheerful. And I think I think in both situations, it's very crucial to not put that pressure on the person to just be okay, you know, and, and just smile and feel okay the next day or, you know, not think of negative thoughts or whatsoever. Uh, I think it should be normalized to have that open space to feel whatever the person is feeling. But then well, what I want to highlight is at the same time, the support and the push for when that person decides or to feel, you know, positive or feels cheerful and okay one day. Yeah. So um, confirming or validating someone's negative emotions um, it can be like a really strong and, and powerful tool to get them out of that state. I mean, as a, as a friend, let's say dealing with somebody who has, I guess, uh, let's say like a, a panic attacks about a certain task or, or anxiety or whatever, since I'm, I'm, my personal experience is more with anxiety and depression. So I'll, I'll speak about that. But whenever someone is going through that, it's really difficult as a friend to know what to do. Um, uh, but, uh, what you have touched on is, is really interesting and it's really important is that you need to confirm and validate their feelings and not disregard them or tell them to smile, even though they're not okay, or to feel positively, even though they're not feeling positively internally, because it's important to tackle the issue of why are they feeling this way before forcing them <laughs> to smile. I think it makes it worse in many of the times. Yes, I totally agree. Um, it's, it's a huge responsibility for the friend as well. Um, so it's uh, um, maybe a little bit difficult to be a point of support for someone who has um, a, a mental health uh, problem. Um, what would you think, say, Ava, is a good way for a friend to support their friend who's going through a mental health issue? 
Yeah, it's actually great that you bring that up, right? And it's great to hear that uh, the both of you are, are supporting friends if they are struggling with their mental health. And I think it's very important in friendships to be there for uh, the other person as well. Um, and pushing them or, or telling them to just smile and it's not that bad. It's most. It's not gonna. It's not gonna help. It's rather uh, putting more pressure on them, right? Um, so I think a good way is being there for them by by listening to them, by um, by hanging out with them, um, by offering support. Um, that, for example, offering that you can help them or offering that you will help them to connect to counseling service uh, and to professionals, but by not pressuring them too much, right? Uh, the person needs to des decide themselves if they, um, if they are ready to actually get help. But what I also would like to mention um, on this topic is that it's very important if you if you help a friend who is struggling um, and you start feeling uh, rather down or overwhelmed um, or in a in, in a bad situation and uh, that you take care of yourself, right? Uh, doesn't mean that you should drop your friend completely, but you need to be aware that uh, we we catch emotions of others, right? May it be good or bad emotions, um, but if we catch bad emotions of, of others and it draws us down as well, we cannot help them anymore, right? Uh, so it's important to, to take breaks, to um, set boundaries um, and to take care of yourself. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for mentioning that. I actually really appreciate it, Eva, um, that you mentioned this because there's always a huge emphasis on supporting a friend, uh, being there for them, knowing what to say and what not to say, how not to trigger them. But then, as you said, sometimes that friend also is dealing with their own personal challenges and they don't necessarily have that capacity of you know, listening and being there and supporting. And I think it's it's also as much as it's important to validate a friend who's struggling, uh, their, to validate their feelings and, you know, their challenges, it's also very important to be aware of one's mental and emotional state uh, as, as the friend. And I've been in situations where, you know, I've, I've had a friend who who was really struggling at the time at the same time that I was. And then it was hard to, to be there and support that friend. So at, at some points, I had to remind myself that, you know, it's okay if I wasn't supportive today or during this hour. It's okay if I put that boundary and say, I'm not ready to talk or I don't have that emotional capacity to support or listen or, or you know, be an active listener. If it's okay, then... Maybe, maybe if whenever, as soon as I feel better or good or feel like I have that capacity, I'll come to you and I'll, you know, make sure to be there for you. I think it's, it's, it makes a huge difference to both parties and, and in the relationship generally. I, I totally agree. It's, uh, it's uh, even understated how important it is to put your own boundaries and, um, you know, be mindful of your own emotional state when you're trying to support a friend because oftentimes if you're not in a good emotional state you might be doing more damage to that person than than supporting them well and to yourself right and to yourself as well of course so let's let's go to the other end of the spectrum now we've talked we've talked about support what about 
stigma. What, what do you think is the biggest stigma about mental health and how do we create a supportive environment free of stigma, not only between friends, but let's say on a campus level or an institutional level? One of the biggest stigmas is still that uh, if you go to a psychologist or if you need help regarding your mental health, you are crazy. Um, that's definitely a stigma. Another one, I guess, might be that um, it's seen as a weakness, right? Um, if I struggle with my mental health, I'm not I'm not good enough, um, or or I'm I'm weak actually. Another thing which I feel like might make it difficult to reach out for help is that. Many of us tend to downplay their challenges or their struggles. Um, and uh, another thing might be that that we fear social rejection or that we fear being judged from others if they would find out that we are uh, going to a counselor or psychologist. How would you tell them not to feel not to feel that way? How can we uh, deal with that? I think uh, the one of the biggest uh, things and the best things about going to a psychologist is actually that it's confidential, right? So, if if you as a as a client who goes there doesn't tell anyone that you're seeing a psychologist, there is no way that they would find out, right? Uh, so psychologists are not allowed and would never talk to anyone else about uh, which clients they are seeing or what they are talking about. Um, and I think that's something which needs to go out there uh, more, um, that, that it's con it's a confidential and very safe space to talk. You're not considered crazy if you go to a psychologist. It's uh, rather taking care of your mental health, which will improve your life satisfaction and is definitely good for yourself. I totally, totally agree with that. Um, especially, I resonate with the conf confidentiality uh, part. Because I mean, sometimes it's it's good to talk to friends about about what's going on in your life, but I think I think sometimes there are things that you might feel uh, maybe embarrassed to discuss with your friends, um, and would like to talk about it with uh, not only a, a healthcare professional but also a complete stranger who just doesn't know you that well and is there only to help you, has no biases, no judgment literally there to help you figure out whatever you're going through. And Maria, so the same question to you. Um, so what, what do you think are some of the stigmas, um, not only around mental health, but I want you to specify around, like, let's say ADHD and um, how do you deal with that? Yeah, thanks for, for, you know, specifying in terms of ADHD. But people look at it as it is a learning disability, right? But also, it's also important to know the context of why it could it would be uh, a learning disability. It's only a disability when, for example, I'm giving the same um, time to finish an exam than a neurotypical person. Then in this case, it, it, it's definitely uh, something that holds me back, right? But as soon as I... I found the opportunity or, or, you know, the, the person I'm dealing with is compliant and gives me 30 more minutes, let's say, for example, then it wouldn't be a disability at all. You know, I will, I'll, I'll perform just as, as good as I, as I would, if I didn't have that disability per se, I think it's really hard to be open about having ADHD in the system that we operate in. For example, um, people with ADHD are more susceptible to, to being distracted by, you know, external stimulus than a neurotypical person, for example. And if we were all put in one classroom 
for example, 30 people, one who is tapping their, their feet or the other who is, you know, uh, making sounds with their pen, clicking. In that situation, yes, I would have um, a learning disability because I will not be able to focus with whatever the instructor is telling me. Uh, for example, or not not able to write whatever is on the board and then listen at the same time and try to understand. But in, in a situation where, you know, ideal situation where I'm able to be in the same place, but with these that, that stimulus being isolated, then I will perform just as, as, you know, as good. So I think what, what really, really makes a difference and may have made a difference to me is just being accepting you know just being educated about about these these disorders or illnesses or whatsoever being educated about what the symptoms are and then how does the person need help and in the in, in my situation for example um I've, I've dealt with instructors who were very happy to just sit with me in a in a in a, in a different room si- where it's silent where I would take the exam and schedule it on a different day. And that would make such a huge difference in how I perform and eventually my grades, obviously, and how I feel about myself. And I really, at some points, I just think about the idealistic situation where mental health is normalized, starting with the leaders or the teachers or the managers, whatsoever. It should be integrated in these introductory um, you know, you know, when we take courses and then the first class would be just an introduction about the cl- uh, the course, for example. Yes. Yeah. I think it would be also important to also, you know, mention that, for example, uh, if, if they're mentioning days off or, you know, sick leaves and how to um, submit a document when if we have a sick leave or a medical note, we can start by, for example, saying, there's also the option of if you weren't feeling okay that day and you had a mental health challenge, that's also one thing or one category that we can go through. Yeah, I think it's, it's, um, it's you touched on a really interesting point, which is that instructors or leaders or managers, like you said, need to um, kind of uh, make it clear that they're open to, to discussing um, if that person is having is going through through something difficult that's you know keeping them from um, performing as well as the other students, um, especially in in the mental health region, it's important for the instructors to to really let them know that it's okay for them to come forward and talk about it and um, and share if whenever like they are not feeling well or not feeling good enough. Uh, good enough to to um, go to class or or give a homework or whatever it is because it is. I mean, in the end, we all have to kind of adhere to certain deadlines and things like that. But it's it's it feels, I think, 10 times better to know that the instructor is at least willing to listen if there is a problem, uh, rather than feeling like you're, you're going to be treated as well as everybody else and you're, you, don't, you don't have the, the space uh, or the safety to talk about um, an issue if you're having it. Um, so you know, at, at the at the end of our of our podcast now, I just want to leave it at a, at a positive note. So, if you had to give a message of encouragement to not only our generation but future generations who share this uh, similar challenges, what would it be? I would say to to just embrace, I guess, uh, the differences, normalize, you know, feeling good and feeling not good. 
it's really it's really important to um I don't know but but I've seen I've seen the impact of just accepting whatever uh, a person is going through or whatever behavior they they did that that they're not proud of just show them that this is a safe space for you to just dump whatever you have in mind um with no judgment and then that's one part then the other part is whether you want to be involved in helping or giving solutions or not but just accepting that someone you know is is having to deal with a or b has a has a great impact in feeling at least comfortable enough to actually go to therapy it, sometimes it starts with just talking to that one friend or family member and feeling the acceptance or the encouragement to go to a professional yeah i i totally agree i would say that um your academic journey is important um but so is your mental health right so taking care of your well-being is not a distraction from from your goals but it's rather an essential part of achieving your goals um and don't wait for the right time to to make changes and to look after your mental health start today with it um and set small goals and small steps in the right direction I totally agree and second that and um I would say be kind to both to yourself and to other people um uh, definitely be kind to your friends who if if they're going through something um difficult just you know like Maria said give them the safe space um to dump all of their issues just listen to them if you have the capacity to listen if not you know communicate um but kindly so um thank you guys so much for for sharing your stories and for being um so brave maria to, to share your your uh, story about adhd and for um sharing your expertise eva i really appreciate um both of you being here um this would conclude the uh podcast and i hope that this this episode makes uh, at least helps one student maybe in our audience to to feel a little bit better and maybe to to uh, seek help Thank you so much you guys. Thank you Ganima, thanks Maria for the great discussion and for the invite. Uh thank you Ganima for for leading uh this. I know it's you know it's not necessarily easy uh to keep with all of this and also share your personal experiences. I think it went well and smoothly and I we appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much.